Who's that? You must be new. That is Bruce Wayne. Mr. Wayne, Clark Kent, Daily Planet. What's your position on the Bat Vigilante in Gotham? Civil liberties are being trampled on in your city. People living in fear. He thinks he's above the law. The Daily Planet criticizing those who think they're above the law is a little hypocritical. What'd you say? Considering every time your hero saves a cat out of a tree, you read a puff piece editorial about an alien. It could burn the whole place down. Most of the world doesn't share your opinion, Mr. Wayne. Maybe it's the Gotham City in me. We just have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. Boys! Mm. Bruce Wayne meets Clark Kent. I love it. I love bringing people together. How are we? Lex. Hi, hello. Lex, it is a pleasure. Ow, wow, that is a good grip. You should not pick a fight with this person. The man of screen. You know the oldest lie in America, Senator? That power can be innocent. You're gonna go to war. That son of a bitch brought the war to us. You know you can't win this. It's suicide. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. Son of Krypton versus Bat of Gotham. You're psychotic. It is a three-syllable word for any thought too big for little minds. It's time you learn what it means to be a man. Stay down! If I wanted it, you'd be dead already. Man won't kill God. The devil will do it. What have you done? with you. I thought she was with you. Hey folks, and welcome to a very special episode of Man of Screen Podcast. My name is Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I'm going to share my thoughts on Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, which was directed by Zack Snyder. I saw the movie on Friday night, and I am making this recording at Sunday, on Sunday night, and, you know, after two days of considering the movie, I'm gonna say that I liked it. It was a worthy start to the DC uh, Cinematic Universe, and, you know, some people are saying that this movie was the start of the Extended Universe, but that universe really started with Man of Steel three years ago, when Superman was introduced to general audiences. At least the Henry Cavill version of the character was. We have all known who Superman was for many years now. It has been an interesting week uh, leading up to the release of uh, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Everything kind of started gathering steam on Tuesday when the reviews started coming out and some of the first impressions from the New York screening. Early word of mouth about the movie was very positive, but then the reviews hit on Tuesday and things kind of didn't go very well. You know, the movie got slammed critically, the Rotten Tomato Meter, if you really put any stock into that sort of thing, came in at 29% overall at this point. But I must say, general audiences viewed the film a little differently. Uh, as a, the audience measure came in about 73% like in the film, and the box office has certainly reflected that as, as of Sunday night, the movie is reported to have taken in $424 million worldwide. 170 million about of that has been made domestically. So, by all accounts, the movie has been a financial success, at least in its first weekend. Well, it remains to be seen how it continues going forward, but projections are indicating that the film can hit 1 billion. And I have seen uh, reports, uh, I believe the first article came from io9, I believe, that Zack Snyder will get to continue making the Justice League movie, which, which is expected to start filming on April 11th in England. 
going to say for myself that the movie wasn't without its faults. The first act of the film was very long, and it took a while to get to the main action of the film, but, you know, like I said, it was a worthy beginning to the extension of the DC Cinematic Universe, which started three years ago with Man of Steel. So, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a quick break, I'm going to play a promo, and then I'm going to come back and look at the characters and to give the overall synopsis of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Hang around. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it. From 1938 to the present day, from the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com Now, folks, I just want to let you in on a little warning before I head into the meat of uh, this episode. I will be spoiling the film and speaking about it in detail. So if you have not seen the movie, I would encourage you right now to turn the podcast off. That's not something I encourage lightly, turning the podcast off. You know, but really, if you haven't seen the movie, I highly recommend you turn off this episode and come back to it after you've seen the film because I am going to spoil the ending and the important story points. This episode is definitely for those of you who have seen the film at this point. Or for those of you who have not seen the film and don't mind getting spoiled. Do not say I didn't warn you. So, what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by going through the characters in the film. Superman and Clark Kent were portrayed by Henry Cavill in his second turn as the character. I thought this time around Cavill looked far more comfortable as Superman, even if the character he plays is extremely uncomfortable with some of, his, of the situations he's finding himself in. His reputation has been attacked by all sides, you know, the media and the world at large. You know, this time around, Superman is portrayed much more silently, kind of the strong silent type, so to speak. Cavill did a lot of his acting with his face and looks, smirks, and smiles. Even in scene where people were talking to him, he really didn't say a whole lot and did most of his acting with his face. That seems to have been a deliberate decision on the part of director Zack Snyder to do that. So we really didn't have a good idea of what Superman was thinking. Now, Ben Affleck brought Batman and Bruce Wayne to the screen in this version of Batman, the first time we've seen him in this DC Cinematic Universe. This is the first time we've seen Batman on the big screen interact with other heroes, and the first time Batman and Superman were seen on the large on the big screen together. This Batman is brutal, but you know, not as angry as the trailers led you believe. This is the first time we have really seen kinda superhero kick ass Batman on the big screen. You know, from his actions, especially early in the film, Batman acts as an early antagonist as he kinda goes after Superman early in the movie. Affleck also portrayed a Bruce Wayne that was haunted. And overall, I liked his portrayal. From what I gathered during the film, obviously in trailers, we've seen the Robin costume, which was spray-painted with taunts by the Joker. Just from what I was observed from Affleck's portrayal of Batman and Bruce Wayne, that the death of Robin was recent and something that is still fresh in his mind. Wonder Woman was brought to the screen for the first time by Israeli actress Gail Gadot, and she played a small role in the film. Her purpose was mainly to serve the Dawn of Justice portion of the film. She has an exotic look and accent to her, and she got the biggest cheer in the theater I went to when she came on screen as Wonder Woman during the fight with Doomsday at the end. After seeing her performance, you know, I have high hopes for the Wonder Woman film next year. Jesse Eisenberg played Lex Luthor. You know, this was an odd performance. He's a younger and more hip Lex than we're accustomed to seeing, but he showed signs of brilliance by turning Zod into Doomsday, and he definitely lords his intelligence over the other characters in the film. But he is clearly the villain of the piece, clearly manipulating everything that happened in the film, especially with regards to the assault on Superman's reputation. This Lex Luthor was not bald, however. He had long, flowing red hair. You know, after the film, I kind of thought that he reminded me a lot of Lex Luthor II, who, which was a clone of Lex Luthor that he developed in the 90s when his original body suffered from kryptonite poisoning due to years of wearing a kryptonite ring. That version of Luthor had had his brain transferred to a cloned body so he could live on through his quote-unquote son. 
This Lex Luthor definitely is Lex Luthor Jr., as he talks quite a bit about his father, who we never see in the film, and unless I miss something, the film never actually mentions what happened to his father. My guess was he died, but you never know. Maybe he's the older bald man that we all know and love, but that's just wild speculation on my part. Amy Adams has her second go-around as Lois Lane. She is the model of consistency. We saw the same Lois that we saw in Man of Steel, the exceptional journalist and investigative reporter. She's tough as nails and a very good investigative reporter working out the details of what happened during the film's long first act. Jeremy Irons played the role of Bruce Wayne's butler, Alfred Pennyworth, and I think he's about to become my favorite live-action Alfred. He seems to have been taken right out of the Arkham Asylum video games and modern comics where he serves as Bruce's wingman, so to speak, from the Batcave, you know, whispering in his, giving him reconnaissance in, in his ear and kind of helping him through his mission. He also had some, some of the best lines in the movie. I loved his sarcasm and his snarky comments with regards to Bruce. A lot of people sometimes have issues with what we like to sometimes call snarky Alfred, but I don't have any problem with that. You know, I always believe the snark comes out of a place of respect and concern for Bruce's well-being. Like I said, I enjoyed his run as Alfred. Holly Hunter played a original character, Senator June Finch, the so-called junior senator from Kentucky. You know, this character was a pleasant surprise, as most of the trailers seemed to indicate that she would be aligned with Lex Luthor. That wasn't the case, as she spent most of the film not taking this crap. And despite her chairing the committee to investigate Superman's actions at the beginning of the film, she was quite fair to him. That was quite the surprise. So, you know, and obviously some of the other characters returned. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne returned as Perry White. And believe it or not, which I didn't even know going forward, that Jenny returned from Man of Steel. Steve Lombard was gone. Well, no big loss there, but as far as with main characters, that's pretty much it. So I'm at this point, I am going to head straight into the synopsis for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, and this synopsis is brought to you by Wikipedia. 18 months after the destructive battle in Metropolis, Superman has become a controversial figure. Billionaire Bruce Wayne, who was co covertly operated in Gotham City as the vigilante Batman for nearly two decades, blames Superman for the mass casualties that resulted from his fight with General Zod. Superman, in his public identity as Daily Planet journalist Clark Kent, sees Batman as dangerous and seeks to expose him. This bat vigilante is like a one-man reign of terror. The press has to do the right thing. You don't get to decide what the right thing is. Nobody cares about Clark Kent taking on the Batman. Lex Corpse, mogul Lex Luthor, also sees Superman as a threat and convinces Senator June Fit Finch to help him recover kryptonite from Zod's failed terraforming attempt from the Indian Ocean. Finch later stonewalls Lex's efforts to use Zod's DNA and the Kryptonian scout ship recovered from the battle to create a biological weapon. Wayne infiltrates a fundraiser promoted by Luther to retrieve data from LexCorp's mainframe, but his drive is stolen by mysterious antiques dealer Diana Prince, who learns that Luther has files on himself as well as individuals with superhuman speed, a cybernetic body, and a man that lives underwater. Wayne receives the drive back from her after she copies it. He learns not only of Luther's experiments with kryptonite, but also his ongoing investigation about metahumans, including Prince herself, who is an immortal warrior. Batman attempts to retrieve Luther's kryptonite, but is intercepted by Superman, who orders him to cease his activities. Next time they shine your light in the sky, don't go to it. The bat is dead. Bury it. Consider this mercy. Tell me. Do you plead? You will. Later, Finch summons Superman to a congressional hearing at the U.S. Capitol to debate the validity of his actions, where Luther masterminds a bombing that kills dozens of people, including Finch. The public blames the bombing on Superman, who goes into self-imposed exile. Batman retrieves the kryptonite and prepares to launch a strike against Superman, building a powerful exoskeleton and kryptonite-powered arsenal. You're gonna go to war. That son of a bitch brought the war to us two years ago. Jesus, Alfred, count the dead. Thousands of people. What's next? Millions. He has the power to wipe out the entire human race, and if we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. And we have to destroy him. Not 
He is not our enemy. Not today. Twenty years in Gotham, Alfred. We've seen what promises are worth. How many good guys are left? How many stayed that way? With Batman now having the kryptonite, Luther activates the Genesis Chamber aboard the scout ship and splices his own DNA and Zod's. Luther endangers Superman's love interest, Lois Lane, to lure him to LexCorp Tower where he reveals that he has been aware of Superman's secrets for some time. Lex blackmails Superman into confronting Batman by holding his adoptive mother, Martha Kent, hostage at an undisclosed location. You will fly to him, and you will battle him. To the death. Black and blue. Fight night. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. God versus man. Day versus night. Son of Krypton versus Bat of Gotham. Anticipating that Batman would kill Superman with his kryptonite. Superman tries to reason with Batman, revealing that he knows his secrets, but leading to a fight in which Batman nearly kills Superman with a kryptonite spear. Superman pleads for Batman to save Martha, which was also the latter's late mother's name, causing him to come to his senses and realize Superman is not a threat. Upon learning of Luther's plan, Batman leaves to rescue Martha while Superman confronts Luther, who unleashes a monstrous, artificially bred creature made with Kryptonian technology on the crashed ship. Superman and Batman join forces to fight him and are aided by an arriving prince in her Amazonian Wonder Woman attire, but are outmatched due to the creature's ability to absorb and redirect energy. Realizing that their shared Kryptonian DNA results in shared vulnerabilities, Superman retrieves the Kryptonite spear and sacrifices himself to impale the creature with it, while the creature stabs Superman with his bone protrusions, seemingly killing him. Luther is arrested after Lois Lane exposes his numerous crimes. When he is visited by Batman in prison, he gloats that Superman's death has made the world vulnerable to powerful threats, of which he was taught about while manipulating the Kryptonian ship's technology. Batman threatens Lex and promises that he will always be watching Luther. A memorial is held for Superman in Metropolis, and Clark is also declared dead. Wayne, Lane, Martha, and Prince attend a private ceremony in Smallville. Martha passes an envelope to Lois, which contains an engagement ring from Clark to Lois. After the funeral, Wayne reveals to Prince that he plans to form a team from Luther's file subjects to protect the world in Superman's absence. Later, a faint heartbeat begins echoing from Superman's grave, and the dirt around it begins to levitate. Alright, so now you're all dying to know what I thought. Like I said in the opening, I liked the film. I thought the beginning was incredibly long, but, you know, looking back on it, the beginning might not have been long enough, as the characters kind of reach conclusions that don't make a whole lot of sense. Like, I wasn't sure where eventually Luther reveals that he knows that Clark is Superman. I'm not exactly sure how he came to that information. You know, and I'll get to some of these things later on in my analysis, but overall, I enjoyed the film. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'd probably give it a 7. It had room for improvement. Could have been better. Based on some of the reviews I heard early in the week, I feared that it could have been a lot worse. But I think uh, 7 out of 10 is a fair score for the film. Better than mediocre, but not great. I will offer a psychotic caveat that I personally will never give a film a 10 out of 10 because no film is perfect. But like I said, I believe 7 out of 10 is a fair score for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And I look forward to the follow-up from here. The film starts with the final events of Man of Steel, as we see the battle between Superman and Zod, kind of from Bruce Wayne's point of view, as he's trying to evacuate the Wayne financial building. You know, the character gets understandably upset when he goes up to an orphan girl and says her parents were in a building that was destroyed during the fight. He saves one of his employees, Wallace Keefe, who was played by Scoot McNary by lift, lifting a beam off his legs. We find out later in the film that Keefe has lost his legs from his injuries in the battle. And he's going to go on to blame Superman for what has befallen him. I didn't talk about Keefe during the list of characters at the beginning of the at the beginning, but he does play a significant role in the film, and I'll be talking about him quite a bit in this analysis. So after that, we flash forward about to about 18 months later in the Indian Ocean, where we see the wreck of the world engine from Man of Steel. I'm really guessing by now, you know, maybe somebody should think about taking that thing out of there and getting rid of it. But it is still there 18 months later. You know, I guess uh, cleanup comes slow to the area behind the Indian Ocean as well. 
And here, someone is going to discover kryptonite at the bottom of the area that was being terraformed until Superman destroyed the machine by flying through it. Now, the first time we see Superman is in Africa. Lois is talking to this warlord, and she asks him straight out if he's a terrorist. You know, this Lois, uh, just like a man of steel, she has no fear of dangerous characters that she may be talking to. She has a photographer with her, and... You know, he complains that the mercenaries are exposing his film, preventing him from getting photos. Now, my first question was, why is this guy using film? You know, you're supposed to think he's a newspaper photographer, and all newspapers that I know are using digital these days. It's easier to deal with and cheaper than buying countless rolls of film, even if it was still readily available. And we're meant to think this guy is from the Daily Planet, and as Perry says, the planet can barely afford to send Lois anywhere by bicycle. Then, the photographer is unceremoniously shot dead by the mercenaries. Now, apparently I read in, in an interview today, I didn't stick around for the cast at the, in the credits of the film, but this was Jimmy Olsen, and he was a CIA operative. Personally, I am not too crazy about this idea, as Jimmy has been one of the core members of Superman's supporting staff since the 40s. But... Whatever. Zack Snyder said in an interview that he and his creative team didn't have any plans for Jimmy down the, down the line. Oh, well, the films tend to waste Jimmy's character anyway. You know, he really was underused in the Christopher Reeve movies. He was a bit of a comic relief in Superman Returns. Didn't even appear in Man of Steel. So, I probably would have been better just not seeing Jimmy at all than having him dispatched in this manner. But I didn't write the film to each their own. Maybe, according to that same article that I read, I don't remember where I saw it, but Snyder said in the extended cut that we're going to see a scene where the photographer is going to introduce himself as Jimmy Olsen. I guess we'll see when that comes out in July. Personally, like I said, I'm not a big fan of the idea, and if you never watch the extended cut, you'll never know that it was Jimmy Olsen. So, you never know if the character will show up down the line. Eventually, Superman shows up, and Lois is taken hostage by the Warlord, and Superman saves her life by attacking him. When Superman shows up, the mercenaries open fire on the village, and we are led to believe that Superman caused the mercs to panic, causing a massacre. And we never actually see what Superman did to the warlord after he rushed him and took him out of there. As the scene cuts straight to a woman testifying in front of Congress about what she saw. The first time we see Superman in his civilian guise as Clark Kent, he is coming home to Lois uh, with a bag of groceries. Apparently, they're in a relationship living together, and judging by the fallout, this is the first time Lois, I think, is having doubts about whether Clark can be in a relationship with her and continue functioning effectively as Superman, as the only reason he intervened in the Africa incident was to save her life. And, you know, Clark seemed to have a bit of a cavalier attitude about this, and he really even said it as much as he doesn't care people are saying. He felt he was in the right because the woman he loved was in danger. This plays into a little into what people are afraid of, as, you know, Senator Finch has said that she is concerned about what could happen if Superman were to act unilaterally. And he is clearly acting unilaterally here. Lex Luthor is the character that underwent the most changes, at least on a superficial level. As the first time we see him, he is at the LexCorp facility on the basketball court playing with some young people. So like I said in the character description, apparently he is Lex Luthor Jr. And his father has started the company. He's portrayed as a bit of a rich, spoiled brat and talks down to everyone because he thinks he's smarter than everyone. And he might be, but... His genius and his own conceit, I guess, doesn't allow him to speak to everybody the proper way. He's condescending and, you know, puts himself above everybody else. And from the first time we meet him, he is he's scheming, trying to find ways to get the kryptonite out of the Indian Ocean and to recover the crashed scout ship that Superman downed during the final battle in Man of Steel. Uh, and for the record, before I go any further, I'm going to say, even though it's been denied by filmmakers and actors and just about anyone familiar, anyone involved with this film, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is a sequel to Man of Steel. Don't let anyone tell you, tell you differently. It picks up plot threads from the movie, and it advances that story. So, there, there you have it. This is a sequel to Man of Steel. At least I think so. There might be further Superman solo films down the line, but seeing that we killed him at the end of the movie, I can see why further solo outings have not been confirmed. You you don't want to confirm future solo films of a character that has died. It would kind of give away a spoiler. Even though there is no doubt in my mind that Superman is coming back. So anyway, 
The entire first act of the film basically involves Batman launching what he says is, is an investigation into a dirty bomb in Gotham. This leads him to a Russian Anatoly Nyazev, better known to, comic, to comics readers as the KG Beast. And the first thing I thought when I was watching this movie was, really? The KG Beast? You have to dig so far into the bottom of, of the Batman barrel to find this character that when you do, I'm not even sure you're still in the barrel. And the dirty bomb lie might have been a reference to a comic story from the Grant Morrison run several years ago when KG Beast did just that and brought a dirty bomb to Gotham City. But this investigation, which Batman eventually reveals to Alfred, is about getting the kryptonite out of Lex Luthor's hands so Batman can make weapons of his own just in case Superman goes rogue down the line. Luther, he knows, isn't waiting for Superman to go rogue. Clark, meanwhile, wants to investigate Batman, who is beating the holy hell out of criminals and branding them with his emblem in what Clark calls a one-man reign of terror. This Batman reminds me a lot of that angry Batman we saw between the Death in the Family story arc where Jason Todd was killed in the late 80s and the Lonely Place of Dying story arc in 1990 when Tim Drake came in as a potential new Robin. Now, while he is trying to investigate Batman, Clark actually blows off two assignments. One is a football game, which I remember way back when there'd be some shooting at a football game, but there is no trace of this in the film. Maybe it'll be in that extended cut, but for those of you who don't know, the character Cyborg, Victor Stone, was a football player, and having known by at that point that Cyborg would be in the Justice League film, and was cast at that point, I always thought this football scene would somehow involve Stone suffering the injury that would result in his eventually becoming Cyborg. And he also blows off the story of the event at Luther's library to save someone for a fire. And Luther's library event is where Clark and Bruce meet for the first time. Clark is looking into Batman while Bruce shows that he is not a fan of Superman, and their conversation starts getting a little heated before Luther shows up to liven the mood. Anyway, Bruce is trying to steal some information from Lex Luthor, and Clark hears Alfred over the over the earpiece. This is where Wonder Woman, in her guise as Diana Prince, antique dealer, comes into the fold. Now, I know that she is an antique dealer from stuff I've read prior to the film. I don't recall if that was actually explained during the film, but she and Bruce do discuss uh, an antique weapon at one point in the film, so that's probably all the clue you need. But Bruce plants a device to steal information off of Lex's computer. Diana steals the device, makes a copy of it, and then leaves it for him in his car and departs. You know, there's some nice uh, flirty banter between the two as Bruce tries to put the moves on her, but she plays him off. Eventually, uh, Bruce takes his device back to what looks to be a proxy of the Batcave, but he uh, has a dream during, uh, I don't know if this is actually the Batcave or some other facility that he's using. It appears that he is still on the Wayne Manor grounds, but just happens to be below it. So maybe this is the cave underneath. It doesn't look very cave-like. It looks more like some kind of warehouse facility. Well, anyway, while he's working, Bruce has a dream of a dystopian future, wearing a long trench coat over his, over his costume, but still wearing his Batman cowl, he stands up in what looks like a desert, but you see the Omega anti-life symbol burned into the ground, and he fights a bunch of soldiers who are wearing Superman emblems on their uniforms. And there are also some parademons flying around, too. But he is taken prisoner, and that's where he sees Superman, who pulls off the mask and says, She is my world, if I am remembering correctly. Now, I thought this part was a dream. Others have... Maybe indicated that it's not, but Bruce sees a mysterious figure from the future who kind of emerges out in front of him. I am guessing this is the Flash, portrayed by Ezra Miller, who warns Bruce to find her. And I took to meaning from this that he is referring to Lois as that's who, as Superman in the dream sequence talks about her. Whether th this is possibly setting up an appearance of Darkseid in a future Justice League film. Might even be the next one coming that starts filming in a few weeks. So, Superman and Batman meet for the first time when Batman figures out the white Portuguese that he's looking for is actually a ship that the Kryptonite is on. As Batman is trying to retrieve the, or steal the Kryptonite rather, from Lex Luthor, Superman interferes and the Batmobile bounces off him into some, into some containers. Superman won that pretty easily, and that's where he threatens uh, Batman, telling him to retire the Bat. That was their first meeting, and Superman won that one pretty easily. Batman, however, is not deterred 
and eventually does get the kryptonite. But before that, I want to talk a little bit about the sequence, the action sequence that happens here. Batman causes the death of a few guys by dropping cars onto occupied cars onto occupied cars. You know, so it is clear that this Batman doesn't have as much of a problem with taking life as we're used to. I wouldn't go as far as saying he's committing murder, but he's definitely committing several counts of manslaughter. I was, you know, kind of relatively indifferent to this as, a, as I kind of just went with the action. But I do see where people had problems with it. You know, it makes me think about Bruce's line about how many good guys are left. You know, right now at this point in the movie, you're kind of wondering if Batman is still one of the good guys. As, like I said, he kind of plays as a villain for the first good half of the film. So after this, or even before it, I'm kind of bouncing around here without the movie in front of me. It's a little hard to remember the sequence as I saw the movie two days ago. But Metropolis has erected a memorial park with the names of all those who died during the Kryptonian attack. At this point, it's 21 months earlier. And I was anchored by a huge Superman statue. So, Wallace Keefe, you remember him from early in the film, the man Bruce saved, blames Superman for his condition and comes to the memorial, kind of climbs up, up the statue and paints, spray paints false god onto the statue and is arrested. And this puts him in perfect position to be bailed out of jail by Lex Luthor. We eventually find out in the film that Keefe, who seemed to be down on his luck, which confused Bruce because he was still being paid. I don't know if it was disability or if Bruce was paying him his full salary. Something like that is not unprecedented in the world of Batman, as <clears throat> those of you who remember Batman Forever from 1995, after the Riddler murders St Stickley, even though it was ruled to be a suicide, Bruce has the company pay him his full benefits, even though it's not covered by suicide. Well, anyway. But we also find out Keefe has not been cashing those checks and sending it back with nasty notes. And he also sends a newspaper clipping back of the destruction of the Wayne Financial Building, saying something to the extent that Bruce let his family die. Now, personally, I'm not sure what he has against Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne saved him, lifted the beam off of Keith's legs. Keith might have died there if not for Bruce Wayne. You know, I understand him having an issue with Superman because the battle led to his disability. But, I don't know, the grudge against Bruce Wayne didn't quite fly with me. Didn't play. But, anyway, this puts Keith in position to be used by Luther when Superman shows up at the Capitol for a hearing on the events that happened in Africa. And the Senator Finch asks him a question, and before Superman can say anything, Keith's wheelchair, which I'm assuming it's the wheelchair, being that the wheelchair was provided to Keith by Luther, explodes. Now... We know from watching the film that this is Luther for two reasons. One, his seat was empty after he told Mercy to, cl to clearly leave him, save him his seat. And we saw the empty seat which said LexCorp CEO Lex Luthor. And secondly, a jar of what we called what was labeled as Granny Peach Tea in front of Senator Finch, which comes from something she said to him earlier in the film where she said something about calling a bucket of piss Granny Peach Tea. So, this is classic Luther. At least classic Luther from the post-crisis reboot on. It's not enough for him just to kill someone. He made sure Finch knew he did it before that bomb went off. And this is more of Luther's manipulation as the only person left standing here is Superman, who just appears distraught. And he's kind of left standing among the fire. This is another scene that kind of didn't play the right way for me. Why did he just stand there? I mean, yes, I can understand that he didn't see it because he wasn't looking for it. But once he hears that bomb going off, he should be moving people. And he just stood there like a deer in, deer in headlights. Now, like I said, we got to see Lex Luthor as the master manipulator. He was behind everything in, in an attempt to discredit Superman. And this is Superman's breaking point. You know, as he talks to Lois about how Super Superman was never real. Just the dream of a farmer from Kansas. That dream is all some people have. Martha had already told them that he's... People hate what they don't understand. Be their hero, Clark. Be their angel. Be their monument. Be anything they need you to be. Or be none of it. You don't owe this world a thing. You never did. 
And I'm not even sure how I feel about that. You know, she is definitely a mother protecting her son. And she's kind of mad at the world for being ungrateful for him. So Superman and by extension Clark go into a self-imposed exile after all this. And then we got treated to a small surprise. At least it was a surprise to me. Kevin Costner returns for a scene where... I'm not, I don't think this was a dream sequence, as, or if Clark and Matt, or if it was all in Clark's head, because I'm not sure how he would know the truth of what Jonathan is telling him. But I like the story about how of how Jonathan tried to save the farm from some kind of a disaster, a flood, if I remember correctly. But in so doing, he killed someone else's crop. This was a nice scene as Jonathan tries to tell him that you learn to live with things, and this seems to put Clark back on the road to to returning. To Superman, because quite frankly, the third act is about to begin after we see Lex Luthor use Zod's corpse and some of his blood in the Genesis chamber of the scout ship. You know, looking back on the film, I wonder how much Michael Shannon got paid to lie to lay around and grow some fins. We also see at this point what was on that file that Bruce downloaded from Lex. It's data on the metahumans, giving us our, I guess, our second look at Flash, if Flash was the time traveler we saw earlier in the film. It also gives us a look at Cyborg and Aquaman. It also has a photo of Wonder Woman from 1918 Brussels and realizing that it is Diana who he encountered earlier in the film. Now, I'm guessing this photo has something to do with the events of the Wonder Woman movie coming out next year. And now, like I said, we move on to the third act where Lex Luthor kidnaps Lois, tells her his plan, and shoves her off a building in time for Superman to catch her. Before this happened, we've already seen... The KGBs kidnap Martha, and when Luther and Superman face off, Luther rattles off a bunch of names at him, one of which is Clark Joseph Kent. Clark Joe, uh, did I miss something? I am not sure how he reached that conclusion. Maybe someone can enlighten me, or maybe I'll figure it out after I see the movie again, or when I watch the extended cut when it comes out in July. Anyway, L- Luther has a simple order for Superman. He has an hour to go fight Batman and kill him so he, in order to save his mother. So now we know the context of Superman kneeling before Luther. He's not a bizarro. He's not a clone. He is picking up the photos of his kidnapped mother and well, having a small breakdown as he flashes the so-called angry red eyes of anger, trademark Michael Bailey, at Luther. Now what's important next is that Superman is not going to Gotham to fight Batman. He is going to Gotham to ask Batman for help. But Batman is ready to fight. I'm not exactly sure why. Perhaps he's, he's still upset over the damage done to the Batmobile earlier in the film. Or he is still convinced that Superman is a threat and is going to destroy him. Now, when they meet, Superman calls Batman Bruce. Again, I'm not sure how he reached this conclusion, but I'm guessing it has something to do with having heard Alfred talking to Bruce over the earpiece back at the Luther house. And, you know, and this fight is... Pretty brutal, as Batman is pulling no punches. He's armed with kryptonite bullets and a kryptonite spear. You know, but Superman is pulling his punches. You know, at first, he he tried to talk to Batman before Batman started throwing punches. He's not trying to hurt Batman, and even says so as much. Stay down! If I wanted it, you'd be dead already. Showing that he's not trying. Batman has employed his tank armor from Dark Knight Returns, and... He is about to kill Superman with the spear when Lois, who harangued Perry into getting her on a chopper to Gotham. By the way, Gotham and Metropolis in this film are very close, right across the bay from each other. Anyway, and she gets it just in time to dive over Superman, who is yelling Martha, and Batman is screaming at him. Why is, is he Superman saying that name? Batman has his boot on Superman's throat. Hey, dude, if you want... Uh, it's tough to answer when you're preventing him from speaking. So that's when Lois told Batman that Superman's mother's name is Martha. So is Batman's mother. Her name was Martha as well. And I've always thought that was kind of a goofy coincidence that both of their mother's name was Martha. But it is nice to see someone put that to good use. And this, this is where they reconcile. And Batman promises to save Martha while Superman goes after Luther. Now, what follows is some action from the Batwing and some brutal hand-to-hand action as Batman continues to beat the holy high hell out of these guys. He even stabs one right in the shoulder. Like I said, the fighting reminds me of the Arkham Asylum games. Now, he eventually saves Martha, who for the whole time thought Superman was coming for her. And this leads to one of my favorite Batman lines of the film. 
he is shielding Martha and he says, I'm a friend of your son. I really liked that Batman described himself as Superman's friend. He could have said something else like, your son sent me, but having chose the word friend in that instant goes a long way for me. And I loved how Martha just took that in stride, saying she figured, judging by the cape. As far as the scout ship goes, Lex has been hanging in there trying to get getting information from the controller. Apparently Zod's command key was still in the computer, and he used that to learn everything he learns about Krypton. I'm not sure if that led him to finding out Superman's secret identity. I'm not sure how the ship would know that, but anyway. Luther does is he mixes some of his own blood with Zod's corpse, and that turns Zod into Doomsday. That didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Does this mean anytime foreign DNA shows up in a Genesis chamber, it turns whatever it's gestating into Doomsday? That seems counterproductive if every mistake you make turns into a unkillable creature. Doomsday comes out, starts tearing the place up. Eventually, we do see a scene where Superman flies Doomsday into space, and the U.S. military, which is under the command of Secretary Swanwick, who we met in Man of Steel, so he is concerned about the order to nuke Superman and Doomsday as... It is apparent that he has gained uh, at least some respect for Superman from his meeting with him, the Man of Steel. And they nuke both Superman and Doomsday. Doomsday comes crashing to Earth, and Superman almost dies in space. And it comes a little close to death as you see that his body is damaged, but is restored by the power of the sun. We also know that the Kryptonite Spear hasn't been used yet on Superman, and being that we've seen the spear, that it has to be used for something. We know Doomsday is Kryptonian, so... It is assumed that this that this thing is going to come into play. Doomsday started off looking very plain, but as he grew in power, his bony protrusions grew out of him, making him look at least a little bit like the Doomsday we know from the comics. And this fight is where we see Wonder Woman for the first time as she comes in to shield Batman and Superman from uh, Doomsday's energy discharge. Her appearance got the biggest ovation in my theater, which I would have to guess was about 80% full on Friday night. I, I saw just a plain 2D sc screening. I would have liked to have seen this film on IMAX, but the only IMAX theater in my area is in 3D. I really don't like to do 3D because it wreaks havoc with my eyes and my glasses, so I tend to go to regular 2D screenings. Plus, they're cheaper. Saves me a few bucks. I'm guessing those screenings were probably a little more full than the one I went to, which was, like I said, still 80% full on Friday night. Now, the battle itself between... The Trinity and Doomsday was a little underwhelming. It was nothing that most of us haven't seen a thousand times at this point. Lois, still in Gotham, figured out, along with Batman, that we need the spear. And she tries to go get it, as she's the only one who knows where it is, having previously tossed it into a hole filled with water. She must have heard something that indicated to her that Doomsday was Kryptonian, because I don't remember how she knew the spear was the issue. That might not necessarily be the fault of the filmmakers. That could be the fault of my own memory. And like I said, I can't go to the movie right now and check. I've taken notes, but a lot of the all these notes were made from memory. I couldn't go back to the movie and look at it like I do normally with the stuff I'm reviewing on normal episodes. So, of course, being that Lois threw the spear into a hole full of water, she nearly drowns trying to get it. And Superman saves her because she is his world, which echoes what Superman said during Batman's dream sequence earlier in the film. While Batman and Wonder Woman are doing their best to slow Doomsday down, Wonder Woman has him tied up in her lasso. There was some speculation that she wouldn't have the lasso because we hadn't seen it in the trailers. I am happy to report that she had it with her. I guess So I guess after all, everything wasn't shown in the trailers. Superman stabs Doomsday with the spear, and while he is doing that, Doomsday, who previously had his right hand cut off by Wonder Woman, has his hand grow back into a bone and stab Superman through the chest, and both fall to the ground dead. Just like in the comics, they both fell to the ground dead. Now, this is kind of where the film loses me a little bit. Look, I know that any Superman film with Doomsday in it is probably going to end up with Superman dying, but it was too soon for this. This was only this Superman's second appearance. Snyder and Goyer have not earned this storyline. He, he had spent an entire movie getting his character assassinated, and even that story I didn't really feel was earned. His character hadn't really been built up. At the end of Man of Steel, nobody knew quite what to make of him. Maybe we needed another movie of him being Superman and developing the character that he is 
and developing his character before Lex Luthor comes in for character assassination. They did build up his character earlier in the film by having a montage of him saving lives as people spoke about what a hero he was and debated his presence, but I don't think that was enough. But it is what it is. And Superman's sacrifice helps restore Bruce and Diana's faith as they are going to seek out the other metahumans and form a team to stop things like this in the absence of Superman. By the end of this film, they were both recognized the importance of Superman. According to Snyder, Zack Snyder, who directed this film, Superman had to die to provide the impetus for Batman and Diana to form the Justice League. As without him, the League is needed more than ever. I guess he feels the League really isn't needed if Superman is around. But it can also show that without Superman, the League can be a bit vulnerable. But I am guessing that a great deal of the Justice League movie, which starts filming on April 11th in England, will be spent bringing Superman back amongst whatever the story line of that movie is. So it looks like this team is getting at least one more film, probably both Justice League movies. Is Like I said earlier in the show, Batman v Superman brought in about $424 million worldwide, including $170 Mark in the U.S. making it the largest opening for a DC Comics movie. The movie finishes with parallel funerals. One for Superman and another for Clark in Smallville. And the final shot of the movie is Clark's grave where we are led to believe his actual body is. Bruce says in the film that Superman's casket is empty, but at the same time we never see Clark's face in the Smallville coffin. But the last shot is the dirt on Clark's coffin moving slightly upward, a nod that says... We may not be done with Superman yet. The Wikipedia summary that I read earlier in the show says this was a heartbeat. I didn't quite catch that, but I can't rule it out until I see the film for a second time. Maybe I'll get a chance to go in a few weeks to go see it again. And that kind of concludes my analysis on the film. Like I said, I liked it. 7 out of 10. Well, I will be right back. I'm going to take a break and play a promo. And when I come back, I'm just going to kind of spitball some speculation for future films before I wrap the show. So hang around. Do you enjoy time travel in general, and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan, and I will be your host. Together, we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week, we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon... Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. The next week, we will feature the Man of Steel's titles, Superman and Action Comics, which will include the Supergirl stories during her run in the back of that title. You can join me each week on Wednesday or Thursday at the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, which is available on iTunes. And your emails are always welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape. All right, welcome back, folks. And uh, now uh, I'm going to get into some, just some speculation on the future films in the uh, DC Cinematic Universe. Bear in mind, I have no connection or affiliation with Warner Brothers or DC Comics, so anything said in this remaining portion is purely speculation on my part, and I reserve the right to be completely wrong. And here I go. I have two theories. One, it is possible that Superman is still alive. We saw that after the military nuked Superman that the sun recharged him, and... If you remember Superman Doomsday, which was the first of the recent DC animated films that started being made about 10 or so years ago, Superman had a heartbeat once every 17 days, and what prevented Kelex from, or Kelex, from finding him was that Superman's body had been moved. So, if it was indeed a heartbeat, this could have been a once in uh, every several day heartbeat, which means Superman really needs the light of the sun more than the dark of the grave, which was actually talked about after the death of Superman in, in the comics in 1992. Actually, by this point, it was probably 93. So, Or there could be a possible 
Boomtube taking Superman to Apocalypse to subvert his will. I kinda hope that's not the case, as we've already had Lex Luthor spend most of this film manipulating people into turning against Superman. We don't need Superman attacking Earth after his death. Of course, if a false Superman were to fight for Darkseid, Batman could use the scout ship to bring the true Superman back to life. I don't know necessarily that Batman has the scout ship, but the film didn't actually say what happened to the scout ship after Lex Luthor was arrested. And also we have to remember, at the beginning of Man of Steel, Jor-El put the Kryptonian Codex into Kyle's body. This still hasn't really come into play, and perhaps this, this could come into play to save his life. Like I said, that is all wild speculation on my part, and like I said, I could be totally wrong. But I do think there's a whole lot to look forward to this summer and next year as the DCEU continues with Suicide Squad, which is coming out in August. I don't plan on giving that film full coverage as Superman isn't in it. I do plan on seeing it and will probably drop my thoughts on it into the openings of one of my regular shows. Unless you guys really want me to give it full coverage, let me know, manofscreen at gmail.com. Gal Gadot's performance really has me looking forward to what she can bring to the table as Wonder Woman. I was talking to another podcaster over the weekend, and we both agreed that we really don't want to see Wonder Woman fighting World War One, which is consistent with my views, because as you recall, I really didn't enjoy seeing Superman fight World War II in the Fleischer cartoons. Again, probably not full coverage. Just some thoughts on a regular show. I do plan, however, full coverage on Justice League when it comes out in November of 2017, as I am expecting Superman to return to life during the course of that film, at some point. You don't bring Superman into a universe and then just kill him. Never did I believe Superman was permanently dead in 1992, and I don't believe he's permanently dead now. So, that's about all I have for this particular show. Please, if you agree or disagree with me on any of... Of the things I've said during the course of this episode, you can email me at manofscreen at gmail.com and I will read your feedback on Mike. You can give me a review on iTunes. As of this recording, have not received one. So you can let me know what you think there and that can help others find the show. You can also like my Facebook page. Just search for the Man of Screen podcast. My name is Mike Zumo and we will return to our regular episodes next week with the next three chapters of Superman the Serial starring Kirk Allen. See you then. Thanks for listening. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Timo, and all the opinions on the show are those of Mike Timo and the house. All music and sound clips used in the making of the show are for three purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyrighted by original copyrights. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com, and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.